Welcome to Spritz and Scrums, a podcast by three Benetton fans with a love for Aperol and all things Rugby Italiano. In this episode, we look at what went so wrong in Toulon, but what was great about getting there. What made Coach Mad last week? Honestly, don't know what to say. It's a disaster, really. È stata una brutta partita. Ha fatto paura. I think they were very much nervous, nervous, nervous. Yeah. And actually, we didn't, we didn't pass the five meter. Uh, it's a disaster. I personally consider this uh, one of the worst match I've seen in entire of my support career. It means 15 years that I'm following the Benetton. I love Benetton, love the rugby, the super. But today is very difficult to find out opposite things. Nothing, nothing has worked. We knew that uh, they were uh, much stronger, but. Uh, we tried to score, a try. Yes, to score a try in the end, yeah. but too many, too many knock off. words, knock on, knock yes, on. too many knock on. Dio vi proteggerà perché siete tifosi della Benetton. He says God will protect us because we are Benetton fans. Mamma mia. just been so frustrating for them. Thrill of being in one of these semi-finals for the first time, and they've just right, not right, done right, themselves right. justice today. We lost, and we lost really badly. We got nilled in a semi-final. That's what's um, extremely difficult to get my head around. And that's what made Coach Mad last week. Part of the reason why this podcast is a week late is because Ellie refused to rewatch the game. Yeah. Because it was too sad. Yeah, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Like every time Ellie put it on to watch it again, I was like, oh, I just, I can't put myself through that again. Because you know that there's no moment of release. There's no moment of minor joy. Even if you lose a game, you get to see like a well-worked try or, and there was nothing. Every single moment carried disappointment. Um, so eventually I got around to doing it about two weeks later. You were definitely very happy at the game. All the voice notes I got, you were all very happy and the, the crowd sound, sounded amazing. Look, don't um, get me wrong, we had a great time in the south of France. I highly recommend the French Riviera for anyone who's uh, interested in a long weekend. And then we got stuck out there because, you know, the French like to strike uh, and there were French strikes. So that extended our holiday by about nearly 48 hours, um, which was great because we got some beautiful sunshine. So all in all, you know, we had a lovely time, but um, couldn't quite shake that feeling of, fuck, we've come all this way. And that was a horrible way to, to drop out. But... Our rental car was upgraded to a BMW. Yeah, I couldn't care about cars, so that's, but actually, that, was, that was good. It was a very nice car. But in all seriousness, we went to Toulon. There was a, an amazing turnout from Benetton. People on a bus, 12 hours each way, hundreds of people. I've never felt a Benetton sort of atmosphere like it. Granted, we've only gone to a couple of away games uh, that they've played, which have generally been in England. But normally it's just like us and one or two other people. 
maybe Max. yeah this they had hundreds of people they had flares they had chants when a, a player went to the window at the hotel which is right next door to the stad mayor the crowd went nuts the atmosphere was amazing we were really well looked after by a lovely man called andrea who is in charge of the uh, rugby treviso and rugby italy um twitter pages he's amazing a huge Benetton fan he was so lovely and welcoming and they all welcomed us in they gave us Benetton supporter t-shirts for the away game which was just ugh. i mean the yeah the energy and the atmosphere pre-game was sublime it was everything you could hope for traveling support um quite a long way right like 12 hours each way on a coach i mean i love Benetton and i'm not sure that i would sit on a coach 12 hours each way. I mean, that is huge commitment. The excitement was palpable. Realistically, at the back of people's minds, did they think Benetton were going to win it? Probably not. But did they think they were going to give it a really good go? And was a win possible? Absolutely. And then in the game itself, just nothing. I repeat, nothing could go Benetton's way. Nothing. Um, and I actually am of the opinion that that red card screwed Benetton more than it screwed Toulon. A controversial opinion. <laughs> that is very controversial. I, I think because, and again, I don't want to start on, you know, refing, but I do think that once Carl Dixon gave that red card, he could no longer hurt Toulon. So there were multiple moments where there were Toulon smacks of balls knock-ons right on the five meter line like uh, the, we'll look at it the Villiers one how that isn't a yellow card um and the commentators we've watched the game back on tv the commentators were also like that's criminal there is no excuse for not giving a yellow card and i think at that point he just he couldn't he couldn't he'd given a red card the crowd was unlike anything I've ever sat in in my life. Like if you thought the Gloucester fans were intense, they have nothing on the Toulon fans. Every decision, every decision, they booed and hissed and screamed and shouted. It didn't matter what the decision was. They were so vocal. And I think that it influenced Carl Dixon. I think there's no way if he hadn't given that red card to begin with, the yellow was obvious from Villiers. And that's that's what frustrates me about refereeing, that you should you need to treat each moment as a moment in itself. Is that moment a yellow card moment? If it is, you give a yellow card. It doesn't matter that you've given a red. You have to treat them individually. Otherwise, you are influenced by the game. And that's exactly what you don't want from refereeing. Yeah. So Olivon got a red card in about six minutes for charging up on Minotzi. Minotzi's under the high ball and Olivon just shoulders him straight in the face, takes him down. Olivon's not looking at the ball. Olivon's out of control. He tries to slow himself down. It's too late. It's a clear red. However, the cowardice that is refereeing in rugby has since declared that it is not a red because God forbid that Olivon misses the Challenge Cup final and the end of the top 14 season and that the former French captain isn't around for the France warm-up matches before the World Cup. Yeah. So they have now rescinded that red card, which is total bollocks and goes against everything that head injuries in rugby you know, the, the, the progressive rugby, it's all that everyone's trying to stamp this out and they've yeah. just gone and done that out of pure cowardice because they can't have the former French captain not around 
when France are hosting a World Cup in the world. It is, yeah, it's cowardly. That's exactly what it is. Anyway, moving on from that, yep, Carl Dixon gave that red card. That was a correct decision, but God, did it get the Stadmaiol against him. And then since that moment, I think Ellie's right, nothing, nothing was given for Benetton. Villiers did two deliberate slapdowns on the wing, one of them on the five-meter line, which was then highlighted by the TMO. They did then look at it, and Carl Dixon did nothing about it. And I have the recording here. We're not the only person that thinks this, of Ben Kay, who is commentating the match. Obviously, we didn't hear this when we were there. He had a very similar opinion to us. So let me just play that. Holding his hand up. He's probably slightly concerned about what's being looked at by the TMO. Let's have a look. Does the hand come out? Yes, clearly right, Dicko, a it is play deliberate knock on, mate. Yeah, that we're is at least a yellow card. I think there's enough Dicko, cover in behind. Dicko, it is definitely a deliberate knock on. But he might need to check numbers. it for more. We're going to go formal. Okay. We're looking at players on the outside, line break. Yes. And where we are. Yes. Okay. So number, we've got it with the winger here. So it's Gabon Villiers. We've seen very little of him this season. This is only his third game, but it might be um, curtailed for a minute or two here clearly a yellow card for me there's a lot of numbers there is covering behind but how much so that channel is that... blocked anyway the player's going to hit him something in penalty only at the small time yeah. no line break i'm sorry but that is completely wrong to say that there wouldn't have been if he catches it gets his arms free there's a potential try scoring opportunity I don't think it would have been there's no way you can give a penalty to try but for Villiers to survive that cynical slap down makes a mockery that just means well if you can cheat cheat I mean that's bonkers for me the fact that that wasn't a yellow card it I mean he says it it basically me it's it's basically Carl Dixon saying if you can cheat cheat and the commentator says that it's not right. It's just not right. And it's it's a result of Carl Dixon being influenced by his earlier decisions. And that's, a, yeah. And we don't want to spend this whole thing talking about the ref, but fuck me, it's, it's, it's hard to avoid it because he didn't give that yellow card. He then left the crowd, like left at half time amongst the most mad boos and whistles. You never heard anything like this towards a ref ever. Yeah, yeah. And then the first thing he does, 41 minutes, beginning of the second half, he yellow cards the Benetton hooker for nothing. It's, and it seems like an attempt to try and like stop this abuse being hurled yeah. at him. So like, no, look, I'm sorry I gave this red card, but look, I'm Here's not yellow carding Villiers. I'm potentially giving a penalty try for him slapping it down on the five meter line. And look, I'll, I'll yellow card the Benetton hooker at 41 minutes for three-eighths of fuck all. For basically, though, what, pushing um, whoever it was who chipped through on the halfway line, um, slightly sort of nudging him off the ball like so that he can chase his own kick, which, I mean, objectively, again, even the, the commentators are like, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's not much of it. He just leaves the shoulder there. I actually don't think Payawa was going to be able to compete for that ball anyway. For that to be a yellow and the deliberate knock-on not to be, I can't fathom it. Soft, 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 soft. It's but it didn't. Yellow. It didn't actually. Um, it didn't sort of up his uh, his favour with the Toulon fans. They still hated every single thing he did. He could have given them everything, and those Toulon fans are just wonderfully French in their uh, anti sort of establishment. Their need to protest. 
I've never seen anything like it. We were um, at the end of the game behind the stadium where the players come out, the Toulon players come out. And um, there was like a decent gathering of, of fans waiting for players to come out to sign autographs. And then I just hear everyone booing and screaming. And I was like, who's come out? Assuming it was like some Banneton players who come out. No, it was the ref and the linesman who were just being hurled abuse as they exit the game. After Toulon have won and are in the final, they still wanted to make sure that that ref knew that they hated him. I'd love to talk to a Toulon fan and, and go, do you honestly think that wasn't a red card? Well, we were there. And I've got to say that the people around me, and I've got to say as well that the, the Toulon fans around us were huge fun. Mm. They are mad. They mad. are a mad bunch of bastards. So they are they are so loud and so aggressive. I'm normally the loudest person around me when I go to a rugby match. I normally feel bad that I'm ruining everyone else's time. I couldn't even hear myself over the people next to me. They were insanely loud, insanely aggressive. And I would say, you know, that we're making them sound like absolute savages uh, <laughs> with their booing and whistling and abusing abusing the ref as the ref left the stadium, which they did do. But it wasn't like physically aggressive. It wasn't, no. it wasn't, it didn't cross the line. It was sort of like, oh, look, the ref's over there. <laughs> whistle, 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 whistle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't um, in any way, uh, what am I saying? Like, it wasn't like a football crowd. It wasn't like threatening, physically threatening or whatever. It was just part of a, an atmosphere. No, no, really it was just vocally atmosphere. very threatening, vocally very, very intense. But lovely people sat next to us. But to answer your question, coach, they all knew that was a red card. There was yeah. zero doubt, but they don't give a shit. Yeah. Where every time too long kicked the ball out, wherever the linesman went, yeah. it wasn't good enough. And that got a boo. <laughs> if someone knocked it on, that got a boo. If a scrum went down and Toulon didn't get a penalty, that got a boo. Every time someone was tackled, they thought there should be a penalty. I mean, I think it's it's quite performative. It actually didn't have anything to do with the game at points. It's just like, we're going to put so much pressure on these yeah. officials that shit will go our way. Well, yeah. it certainly came through on the, ta- on the TV. Did it? Like it, it? Yeah, it was really loud. And yeah, the commentators noticed it as well, but I know there's obviously a delay between live and TV, but I got your voice message about the referee getting booed. And by the time I had a chance to, to look at it, I was watching it on TV and I was like, oh my God, that is a loud boo. I've never heard anything like it. Honestly, I've never heard cheering like that before. Um... It was so loud. It was like they raised retirement age to 80 or something. <laughs> <laughs> And they have a million different chants. Everywhere you go, normally there's like one or two chants that a team has. They had about 20. And loads of them, they always start in synchronization. And, and something like, well, how, how did you come up with that so quickly? Like suddenly there was this new chant, like in the second half, which was like, where are the Italians? Where are the Italians? And it's like, well, how, how you were in a WhatsApp group. How did everyone get the memo? <laughs> It sounds so adversarial. It it, it kind of helps me put into context how incredible it is that Johnny Wilkerson was such a, a leader in that in that team, a yeah. well-respected person, an Englishman on top of that, to go into a place that sounds so gladiatorial and come out a legend. The atmosphere of Toulon was something else. I've never experienced it before, but I think Toulon is a rugby club as well. I mean, the history of that club, the fact that they were always around, but they're pretty crap. They're most around between third and second division rugby in France. Then they basically got taken over by a Moroccan guy from Toulon, multi-millionaire who made his millions in, I think, comic books. Anyway, 
He was the one that then plumped all this money into it and has given this town, which, all right, it's on the French Riviera. Geographically, it's in a good spot, but it in itself actually is no thing of beauty. The architecture is pretty, <laughs> pretty crappy and... And it's a pretty rough place, to be honest. Like It's a pretty edgy place. And it's given that town something to be so proud of. And unlike other places, the stadium is about 50 yards from the sea and it's right in the middle of town. So when they are playing, it's not like, oh, you've got to travel out to go to the go to the match. It's right in the middle. It's impossible not to know that there's a match on. The streets are closed around it. The security barrier goes around into other streets of the town. It's monumental. And and they've only recently come good. I mean, I think we all remember when Tana Umango went over there, was their captain, obviously Jacob Umango's uncle, and then Johnny Wilkinson, and now they've continued with the big names, which they had against Benetton. Villiers on the wing, Colby on the wing, Olivon in the back row, Parise in the back row. Pretty, pretty punchy. And Parise chose that game to show Kieran Crowley what he's still got to offer Italy. Yeah, I think he should probably be picked. Do you? Look at how Zuliani, when he came on, was all over Parise. Yeah. Zuliani actually had an amazing game. It was, it was brilliant, I thought. But how much could a player like Zuliani learn from being in a camp with a 40-year-old Sergio Parise? They've never been in a camp together. I don't think Lamaro's really been in a camp with Sergio Parise. Obviously, Sebastian Negri has. But, you know, that player, he's got so much experience, so much knowledge, one of the best back rows there's ever been, and... He could teach so much. And now that he's announced he's retiring, his ego is going to be a little bit smaller and he's not going to be worried about being picked in the future. So I think he's going to be more willing to give that tuition, to give that help to the younger guys coming through. It must be just a political thing because he's part of the old guard and Crowley's going for this younger younger team. But well, I do, do you I know do what? No, I think why. until now, I do think until now, Parise hasn't really... I think, you know, I can justify why he's not been picked for the last couple of Six Nations. I don't think he's been the superstar that we all know that he has been over the last couple of years. I think that the young guys have shown more exciting promise. However, off the back of that game, yeah, I don't see why you're probably right. You take him, maybe he doesn't even really play, but you take him along to just sort of instill that winning mentality that a superstar like him is yeah. used to, at, at least at club level. And teach some of the tricks that he's learned. His control of the ball at the back of a scrum is world class. It still is world class. He could teach yeah. how to do that. And the other thing is, obviously, Italy at some point in the future are probably going to want to try and get Parise on their coaching staff. And if they piss him off, that's never going to happen. He could go anywhere, though, couldn't he? Let's be well, honest. That's the thing. They're, they're, if he goes to coach Italy, it's going to be out of love and passion, not for the money, because Toulon would probably roll him over as a coach yeah, straight yeah. away, like player into coach. And I think that's what they want, right? Well, that's what you would want. Well, they could teach us how to kick as well. <laughs> a 40-year-old back row forward. The first try that Toulon scored was from a Sergio Parise kick through, as if he's a fly half. And then he did another kick kick through in the second half one off his right leg one off the outside of his left foot a mad skill set and a celebrity of rugby more people wanted photos and autographs with Sergio Parise than wanted photos with Olivon yeah yeah I mean he's the biggest celebrity on that team Dan Bigger came out and nobody really 
gave him much attention, oh, which I appreciated. Bigger. Well, his facial expressions aren't very welcoming. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a moment where Parise was telling Dan Bigger to calm the fuck down. Oh, was he? Because he, because he kept stomping his feet and huffing and puffing. And I think he just walked over and like put his arm behind his back and just said to him, calm down, mate, come on. <laughs> like, also stop because... being a child. Right, like, I don't know. Like, there was no real Benetton threat at any point in that game. I know that it was intense. And obviously, I think respect to kind of the way in which Toulon played, they they didn't take any chances, right? They went 7-0 up, then they had a penalty. They chose to kick. They wanted to get ahead. They wanted to get away. They didn't sort of take Italy for granted and go, right, well, let's just uh, let's kick for a line out on the five meter and see what happens. No, they wanted to get ahead. So they played it strategically. But then you know, within 20 minutes, the game was over. By 19 yeah. minutes in, it was 17-0. Um, and actually, the rest of the game was only two penalties that got them up to 23-0, and that happened in the second half. It was all kind of undone in the first 20 minutes, which is so frustrating because, you know, as Benetton, you're a man up, and you're like, great, okay, calm, relax. Even if you go in at halftime 17-0 down, you go, okay, we've got 45 minutes now with the man advantage to come back and win this game. And so much was going right. It wasn't like their lineup was a disaster and you can't win a game without a lineup. It wasn't like their scrum was a disaster and you can't win a game without a scrum. Those things were kind of working pretty well. And it was just a lot of set plays that were fumbled or that the, the amount of knock-ons was so frustrating to watch. I know it was raining. I agree with a lot of that. I just think they looked unrecognisable from, yeah. from the games previous. When they were down in South Africa, they were, you know, they were matching the energy, they were matching the intensity, but they had no momentum. And the time yeah. that they actually did get momentum, it was on obvious penalty try. And then yeah. they just didn't get it. So yeah. the one And that's time where, right, if, if he gets, if the if Carl Dixon goes, right, Villia, that um, slap back with the ball, that's an obvious yellow card. Maybe you don't even penalty try, but it's an obvious yellow card at the very least. That changes a game, right? You go in, you're like, okay. Or if Lamaro doesn't drop the ball over the try line right before half time, that's points. As soon as you've got points on the board. That was a killer. That was an absolute killer. That period of time was an absolute killer. But yeah, that should be a yellow card. Probably not a penalty try because Colby actually, and, and actually penalty anyway because Colby tackled someone without the ball. Hmm. Um, and then straight after that, for Lamaro to then go through a nice gap that was made at the line out and then drop the ball over the line. Absolute killer. Kind of sums up what happened in the game. Later on in the game, there were lots of breaks. Benetton finally started running. And at the end of it, you know, Albanoz knocks it on. Menoncello throws a forward pass to no one when he has when he has Garbisi and Manga on his left shoulder and he yeah. just throws it forward. Those are two tries. Toulon didn't score a lot of tries and it was Sergio Parise's captaincy that really knows yeah. how to win a game like that. They scored 17 points early on. The occasion was a shock to Benetton. By the time Benetton started going, kicking for points wasn't enough. Yeah. And Parise just kept it ticking over. But what's really frustrating is to lose 23-0. It looks like an absolute battering. But Toulon only scored two tries. And they scored both of them in the first 20 minutes. And then in the second half, only scored two penalties. So it wasn't yeah. like they were an attacking threat. And they got into the Benetton's five. They had penalties that led to line outs scrums on the five meter they had chances as well and Benetton was stopping them but couldn't no score. they defended well um and actually those those two penalties to get them to 23 from 17 0 to 23 0 within um the second half those were both kicked by minute 46 so suddenly you've still got a whole game like a whole half 
where you're like, okay, that nothing happens because Benetton are defending well. But at that point, one of the commentators summed it up. They've just been so dreadful in the red zone. They played the occasion, not the game. And my dad said it as well. Obviously, we're not in Italy, but there was ahead of the game in the days leading up to the semi-finals. Sky Sports released like a little kind of, oh, Benetton are in the semi-finals of a European Cup. This has never happened before. Watch this little thing, this little montage video of um, how they got here, how amazing they are. And my dad messaged me after the game and was like, oh, Benetton just looked like a shadow of what I watched in that, in that build-up. Um, and that's exactly Yeah, it was, right. it was, they were a shadow. They didn't turn up. Our defence was okay, but our attack was, was really bad. And bearing in mind, we had most of that game where we had more players than Toulon and we still couldn't score. You can say with when you're playing a really quality side and they go a player down, they adapt to it quite quickly. Also, the player they lost, Olivon, obviously he's fantastic, but you're losing a back row. Everyone else can step up and they can also pace themselves knowing that they're going to have to do an extra bit of a shift. Yeah, and also you're losing Olivon, obviously the captain, that's terrible. But who have you got as like backup captain, a legend? So they did adapt yeah. um, and they overcame. And I think something to mention, which I don't think Eddie and I realized until we were there. Obviously, Benetton wanted to win this game and get to the finals. It's never happened before. But we didn't realize how much Toulon wanted to win that game. The stat was something like they've lost four finals, European finals. Yeah, they've won the Champions Cup, but they've never won the Challenge Cup and they've lost four Challenge Cup finals so this tournament for that team is like a bit of a bogeyman well they're gonna do it because they're gonna absolutely destroy glasgow yeah i mean my mind glasgow are a really excellent side but sure. i think yeah because you know that's nah, a done deal a couple of weeks ago we talking, like, maybe they won't maybe they're gonna focus on the top 14 and no they put out the absolute best team they could and they were so hungry hungry as shit to win it benetton were really hungry too but you take a bunch of players on a team that have actually tried and tested tournament winners, trophy winners, people who have won the World Cup, people who have won the Six Nations, people who have won top 14s and, and European tournaments, and they're hungry, and they know how to see out off games like this. And that's exactly what Toulon did. Came out the blocks firing. Benetton were a bit shell-shocked, didn't know what's going on. The occasion, What? why are these 12,000 people screaming at me? Sergio Parise yeah. does a kick, they score, suddenly they're on the front foot, and then as soon as they're on the front foot, it was like a coasting. They just coasted yeah. and coasted and coasted. If you look at the stats, Toulon had 47% of the possession. Benetton had 53% of the possession. Territory, Toulon had 47%. Benetton had 53% of the territory. Meters gained, Toulon, 283 meters. Benetton, 258 meters. Tries, 2 to 0. Carries, 68 to 72. Clean breaks, two to three that's such an even game tackles tackles in this game 80 to 85 you know loads of these stats are so close obviously all the other stats i'm not reading are slightly in, in toulon's favor so you've well passes benetton did 105 passes uh to toulon's 58 that can't be right you can't do 58 passes in a game one scrum half does more than 58 passes in a game ECR. <laughs> The point is, the game was tight. It was an even game, but the score had already got away from Benetton by the time they started to play. Yeah, and they didn't know how to adapt in the way that Toulon adapted from their red card. 
Benetton didn't adapt in order to play to the strength of having an extra man. They just, and I mean, we can spend probably, and we have already discussed this off podcast, but we could spend a long, long, long time discussing the fact that Rhino was shut out of that game. In my opinion, by Bortolami, because I don't see, in the last podcast, we said it, we were like, that number 15 shirt is nailed onto Rhino Smith. I don't understand how off the back of one game where Minotti played the Stormers in our final game, how you go, right, yeah, put him at 15 in a game like that. I, I, I get that maybe he was like trying to confuse Toulon and play something a bit different, but you could see in the first 10 minutes, it was not working. Revert, go to plan B because you, you're a man up and you've seen that it's not working and you know how great Rhino is as a fullback. And what do you say, coach, when Rhino plays well? We play well. I'm going to look at the positions for for the game because I think the only reason I can see why Rhino would not be at 15 would be just to try and neutralise Colby because they've got the similar yeah. style I think of rugby. Actually it was, um, I think Rhino was opposite Villiers. No. no, but they're both world-class wingers. So you've got Villiers on one. Yeah, and... but Rhino and Colby are so yeah. similar. Well, maybe it was Colby, but that's the, the only thing I had. And to be fair, you thought you had Marcus Watson on, on one wing, Rhino on the other. That in defensively worked because neither yeah. Colby or Villiers, two of the best wings in the world, neither of them scored and neither of them actually did anything of note, except for when Villiers slapped the ball down and should have got sent off. But neither of them attackingly. Colby was a fullback though. Colby was playing fullback. Was he? I'm trying to find that. You're yeah. making me sound like an idiot now. Well, that makes absolutely no sense then. Well, they didn't know that at the time. Borsalami wrote when he put the team out, who dares wins? SAS. And I can't complain because I didn't complain when he put the team out. I thought, oh, that's quite exciting. If Minotti has a great game, maybe that's really smart because there's so much pace there. It didn't work. In the opening of the game, two set moves, space opened up for Minotti twice, should have gone through those holes. Both times he fumbled the ball and knocked it on. Defensively, he was not present. They got a get-out-of-jail-free card every time they kicked it because his positioning was shit and he wouldn't get under the ball. He, he let it bounce out twice. Yeah. Right, he, he went under the high ball once and took one for the team when he almost got killed by Olivon. So I'm not angry with the decision to put the back line like that, but, you know, half an hour in, 40 minutes in, or at least the beginning of the second half, change it when you see it's not working why don't you change it there's so many rotations there easy yeah. for me to say but albanoz who was playing at 10 he plays on the wing for argentina stick him on the wing put umanga at 10 yeah. and put rhino at fullback yeah yes yes i don't understand and, and like let's not give him that much benefit of the doubt like they're sitting there with these stats in real time we were watching it with no information other than what we could visually see with our eyeballs and within 10 minutes, we were like, this isn't working. What is the point of having all those laptops? <laughs> <laughs> Not even a notebook, coach. They have actual laptops. Yeah, they look like they look like a bunch of bloggers in a <laughs> in an internet cafe, if they still have those. Yeah. So look, I blame, I mean, I want to say I blame Minotzi. I don't blame Minotzi because he played the best that he could. He had a decent game in South Africa, which I think is kind of what, but when you see it's not working, I blame Bortolami for not adjusting because as I say, you have the man advantage and 
it felt like we didn't. It definitely, at no point was like, oh, there's some space here or we're creating, because Rhino was shut out of that game. Rhino had no opportunity to create and to think. Yeah, and you see in the second half when he got the ball a bit more, they were moving the Toulon defense. They were making space. There are a few good breaks where they cut up Toulon. Obviously, then they finished it by knocking it on or a forward pass every single time. But yeah, you need to get a player, bring a player like Rhino Smith into the game as much as possible. The first half, he just, they couldn't bring him into the game at all. We just didn't get enough ball out wide as well, which I find a bit unusual for Italy because normally they can get the ball out wide in a very positive way. Toulon had a very aggressive rush defence. It seemed to me they were attacking a bit more down the middle. It was a lot of, you know, making space around the rucks. Maybe because it was wet as well, but I mean, the number of knock-ons from Banneton... I'd like to see the stats of that because it, it was just constant knock-ons from Banneton. Um, anytime we were building any minor momentum, it was straight away shut down. I don't have that, I'm afraid. That's all right. But, you know, 90% of Benetton's lineouts worked, 19 out of 21. Yeah. That's a good platform. And to not capitalise on that is bad. Two penalties in the last 10 minutes, Albanors and then Umanga, Kick them dead. Yeah. They went for the lineouts in the corner and twice, one in the 78th or 79th minute, kicked it dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, but I think, again, that just sums up that something just didn't click. And I still think that the red card was the problem. Not just, I know I mentioned it in the context of it affecting Carl Dixon's decisions, but I just think, oh, the game got away from Benetton. They didn't know how to adapt to an advantage that ended up kind of feeling like a disadvantage. It was very frustrating to watch and it just felt like those two kicks that went long and that were, you know, huge attacking opportunities in the last 10 minutes. You know you're not going to win the game at that point, but even then you're just like, wow, something's really, really not clicked into place today. Sort of silly, silly errors that they would never normally do, let alone do them twice in the space of 10 minutes. Something didn't click. You know what? I can't see how many knock-ons there were, mm. but by basic maths, by seeing how many scrums ah. had, which was 17... Yeah. Let's say two of them were when Benetton kicked the ball dead at their penalties. <laughs> so that's 15, 15 handling errors from Benetton. That sounds um, about to right. To put that in comparison, Benetton had four scrums. So that's yeah. 15 handling errors to four. They were overwhelmed, I think, by the occasion, by the venue, by all of it, um, because there's no reason why that team that was a solid, solid team um, can't string together one proper phase of play. And that's essentially... Well, no, I think one phase of play is incorrect or harsh because they did a lot of the basics really well and then they cocked it up at the most important points every single time. Their scrum functioned well. They they were winning penalties off the scrum in the first half. Their line-out functioned really well. Again, most of this is when Maley was on and um, that's as well. Defensively, they were solid. They only leaked two tries against Toulon the entire game, and both of them were in that sort of shell shock time at the beginning. Well, one of them was just a Parise kick through that was gold. I don't know how you defend against that. That was just perfection, um, and the bounce of the ball was perfection. So you know, I, I would I would say one. They gave away one real try. But I I suppose what I'm saying is it wasn't an incredible Toulon defence that stopped Benetton scoring. It was their own fuck ups. 
that that stopped them. Yeah, a bit of both, though, I would say. When they broke through, like, Benetton always knocked it on. They always fumbled it. But Toulon were rushing so hard and heavy at them. The intensity, it felt like a test match. You could almost feel the tackles where you were sitting. It was it was really hard for Benetton to get go-forward ball to begin with, to then unleash their backs. Sebastian Negri was running into a brick wall. Lamara was running into a brick wall. Their forwards were just going absolutely nowhere fast. But when they did create a few phases, they then fucked them up. Yes. No, it goes without saying. Everything that was done in this game finished with a fuck up. Uh, they yeah. always ended with a with a knock on, um, a fumble, or uh, giving away a penalty. But, but mainly the knock ons. That's it. That sadly we will not be going to Dublin, um, which I know is what Coach was holding out for. But you know what? We saved a lot of money on accommodation because uh, flights were pretty cheap. But the accommodation in Dublin is ridiculous for that weekend so you know save some money thanks Benetton I, I had a couple of standout players uh Miley before he got the the yellow card and even then I don't really you know I, I, I'm not annoyed at him for that yellow card because it was a ridiculous yellow card um you could really tell how important he was for the those that first half in particular I thought he had a really really good game Menoncello busted a gut apart from his stupid stupid forward pass to nobody after that break I thought he had a fantastic game and really worked his ass off. And similarly, Zuliani was just joyful to watch and particularly to watch him one-on-one versus Sergio was superb. The way that he dominated him off the back of a lot of scrums was great to see. Yeah, Zuliani had an excellent game. And if anyone watches back the, the very end of the game, there's a funny moment where obviously Benetton have just kicked the ball dead off a penalty. Jacob Umanga, unusual for him, unusual for him, but he kicked the ball dead. I'm sure no one would be more frustrated than him. And then there's a Toulon scrum. Sergio picks it up, goes to kick it out. Zuliani half tackles him. And then after he kicks it out, Zuliani shoves him. And then Sergio turns around and it looks like he's about to shove Zuliani and he just hugs him. And they have a nice little brotherly hug at the end of the Well, game. it's more like a sort of father and son hug than a brotherly yeah, hug. But no, it is brotherly. Right. The push is so fucking petulant from Zuliani. And then Sergio turns around angrily and then just cuddles him. <laughs> yeah. Look, Sergio had an incredible game. And I think you spotted this during the game, Eddie, while we were there, that all of the sort of Toulon tries and he didn't really celebrate. No, he that, that's definitely what I was seeing, yeah. If they score, he was just right back at halfway line. Kick at post, he's right back at halfway line. It was a, a very diplomatic performance from Parise. There was no showboating. There was nothing like that. It was... Apart a from in the game where he, yeah, apart from during the game itself when he was showcasing all of his talents. Of course, well, it's round the back passes, it's kicks off both feet. I don't know what he said to Carl Dixon to piss him off so much, and we, we might never know, but there was one point where Carl Dixon said if Sergio said something like that again, he'd go straight off the pitch, and the mic didn't pick it up, so we don't know what it was. There we are. That's the Challenge Cup done for this year. Further than any Italian side has ever gone before. The lesson to be learnt for me, the main lesson to be learnt, is this shows how important it is to win your group stages games. Benetton ended up playing away in Toulon 
because they threw away the game away at Stade Francais in the group stages. So if they'd won that game, they would have been playing at home. And, and trust me when I say it would have felt very, very different. Yes. However, you know, as Borsalami says, to learn how to win games like that, you have to play in games like that. And they will have Benetton players will never have experienced anything like that in club rugby, going to a place like that with an atmosphere like that, playing against a team of that quality, that pumped up. Yeah. In knockout rugby where it really, really means something. So I'm sure there's a huge amount of lessons to be learned from that. Well, Eddie, you said it yourself at the time, um, the difference between kind of Benetton at this game and Toulon at this game, Benetton, none of those players will have experienced anything like that before. The Toulon players will have experienced all levels of games of that size before even going to Toulon because Toulon doesn't take you unless you're already a superstar. Yeah. And, you know, Benetton have played in knockout games before in Europe, but semi-finals are different because yeah. it's it's all there. This was next, next level. But there we are. Um, there, look, it, it, it's, it's sad because, you know, sort of ending the season like that, away from home, down in South Africa, now with this semi-final, all this support that's traveled so far to like finish a game and finish your season being nilled it sucks and it really really hurt i mean honestly when i say i haven't been able to watch the game back for two weeks it's yeah it sucks however eventually um maybe in our next podcast we'll look back over the season as a whole um there's a lot of positives throughout the season that that we shouldn't forget but unfortunately that's the way this year has ended but there's so much excitement for years to come. Um, while we were out there, we chatted to a bunch of kind of Benetton, obviously traveling supporters. We met the mayor coach, got a photo with the mayor of Treviso who traveled all that way. What a legend. What a legend. <laughs> Very nice man. Um, and yeah, speaking to people who are obviously like living in Treviso and have a bit more of a, a the Freemasons of actual Treviso themselves of the rugby club were sort of giving us a bit more intel on kind of the mood within the camp. And they were saying that this is the first year that no player has asked to leave, which is humongous, right? Like that's huge considering how much turnover there's been. A bunch of players who've come in last minute as a result of, you know, wasps closing, etc. And like, the atmosphere is that they don't, nobody wants to go. I well, think why would boots, you? This well... team's just getting better and better and better and better and better. What made losing to Toulon so annoying is that you know that this team is better than that. Yeah. I, um, you know, Nick Mullins said it in the commentary. They haven't shown themselves, like they, they haven't shown themselves at all in that game against Toulon. That's what's frustrating. It's not the fact that you've just lost against a team which is probably going to go on to win it and is redonkulously star-studded. The fact that you think that you could have run them closer and done better against them, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Right. Well, that was that, though. I think, I mean, unless there's anything really important and pertinent to you guys, I feel like we should probably wrap it up. Um, It was hard to come and and do this podcast, even though we had such a good time um, down in France, not just because you're in the south of France. Um, We had we didn't have any spritz because spritz is for winners, but we had spritz is for winners. We had a lot lot of of rosé. Yeah, a lot of rosé. and the energy, and it was just so nice to meet so many wonderful people who travelled all that way from Treviso. Um, a particular shout out to Andrea, who was just such a legend welcoming us in. Um, yeah, so anyone listening to this, 
do please follow uh, Rugby Treviso and Rugby Italy Twitter pages. Uh, in other news, Italy under-19s narrowly beaten by two points by England under-19s after a, a clock malfunction. <laughs> it looked like Italy had scored and won the game, but then the clock never seemed to stop. It went on for about 90 minutes and England then scored and kicked a conversion to win it. Bizarre timekeeping by the Total referee because confusion. he only played 35 minutes in the first half and then played about 50 minutes in the <laughs> second half. So frustrating for Italy not to get the win, but shows that next year that under-20 level for Italy is going to be right up there once again. Um, Wales obviously beat the Italian women in the uh, TikTok Six Nations. In their final game, yes, the score was 10-36 with Wales winning that, which is, again, a very disappointing game from Italy's side. Um, you know, we, we know that when Sylvia came on, she told us that actually finishing third was really important in the Six Nations because they automatically, the top three, qualify for whatever this um, autumn tournament is. Um, we need to look into that. But yeah, it now means that Italy have dropped a bunch of places in the world rankings, which is shit. Um, and it also means that they've got a playoff to enter this autumn tournament. And I think it's against Spain, which they should hopefully win. But it's just annoying because they really, they weren't good enough this Six Nations. No, and I blame a, the line a, out. What line out? Yeah. I mean, that was awful. The, the line out was non-existent with that Italian women's team this year. It should be an easy thing to fix. But there yeah. we go. That's it. Benetton's season is over. If anyone who supports Benetton, supports any team, has an opportunity to go to Toulon, we do highly recommend it. It's unlike any atmosphere I've ever experienced. Very unique <sighs> um, and in a beautiful part of the world. So well worth the trip. Try, hopefully, to go on a sunny day. That's probably nothing that hurt Benetton as well. There's, they would have been training. or Everything they've done would have been set up for sunny rugby. Yeah. And wow. then it was pissing it down. You can't rely on the weather. No. So, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. I was asked to be best man again, by the way. <laughs> and Ellie kind of ruined it by guessing it before I could say it. Shut up. Yeah. Okay, so for, for many listeners who won't know this... um. Eddie and Rich have been friends for a very long time. Um, and Eddie, like, Eddie's just left the call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if he's coming back, um, but I will I will give context to why he's left. Um, yeah, Eddie and Rich have been friends for a very long time. And Eddie likes to think that Eddie is Rich's only friend. So when he found out that um, Rich had been best man multiple multiple times he was so offended by this even though eddie didn't ask rich to be his best man but he wanted him to want to be his best man and rich you know understandably has done it many times was kind of not fussed about the whole affair so uh, every time rich now gets asked to be best man it just infuriates eddie more uh, to the point that he's now left Cool. Yeah, it's my fourth time. Did you say yes? Yeah. Aren't you running out of material or do you like recycle now? This one will be a bit of a low key affair. Is he really gone? A two, Brute. <laughs> it's not it, being asked things like this is a nice thing. I'm so happy for you. And on that bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> always the best man, never the groom. <laughs> one day you're going to have a ton of people to choose Ooh, to be I would your like best man. To say, um, oh, man. 
I would like to say we haven't mentioned it for a while, but if you ever do listen, Sebastian Negri, we would really like to be invited to a barbecue. How do you even know that he barbecues? Oh, he's just got engaged. I saw on his socials. <gasps> Congratulations. Celebratory barbecue. Yeah, that, that's who I'm getting. That's that's the guy. That's who I am. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Coach is imagine. the Can you imagine? best man. <laughs> There we are. Right. Well, next year, Benetton will win a trophy. And we'll go to Dublin. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back probably next week. Obviously, now that the season is over, I don't expect we'll be doing them quite as regularly every kind of week. But we'll definitely, we definitely have a few things up our sleeves um, that we will want to comment on. The Under-20s World Cup is coming up. There's a big game between the Barbarians and the World 15 which Sebastian Negri has also been picked for. So I think there's four Italians playing in that World 15, which is massive. So we'll definitely be commenting on that at the end of the month. And then obviously, you know, pre-World Cup warm-up games. There's a lot. Uh, and maybe, you know, the odd guest that we can get on. And we may do an analysis episode of Benetton's season. On that note, thanks so much for listening, guys. Please, please, please rate us five stars because it just helps to kind of show people who are interested in rugby and specifically Italian rugby that we exist um so yes Spotify Apple wherever you listen give us five stars follow us on the socials because our content is average but we try our best thanks for listening ciao a tutti and we'll be back soon ciao arrivederci ciao ciao